Hello, my name is Steve D'Agostino, and my co-host Anne Fernald and I welcome you to a very special episode of the Twice Over podcast, because to teach is to learn twice over. In this episode, what we talk about when we talk about asynchronous instruction, Anne and I present an excerpt from a live Zoom session, which was part of our four-day workshop preparing to teach in a flexible hybrid model. So never having taught online before myself, when I think about asynchronous teaching, I've tended to think about it as homework. I haven't tended to think about it as an interactive part of class. I've tended to think, you know, go away and do this assignment, do this reading, and then come back to me. And the interaction with me will happen in the classroom. So I'm wondering, Steve, if you can just talk a little bit about in your online teaching, how what are the tools you use for um, interaction with your students and how you develop a kind of sense of a little bit more back and forth than just submission of homework? Yeah, so I'm going to stay with this idea of feedback because there are really a couple of interesting comments that that struck me. So one of the things I've been doing, I picked it up actually from from an English instructor I, I was working with, and I make short screen capture videos of their papers. So screencast, if you've watched any of the videos I've made for this course, they're made through screencasting, which is a way to record a video of anything you see on your screen. So when I give an assignment and the students submit it, I make a little, about three to five minute video of me talking about their paper. And then I upload these videos to the Google Drive and I share it with them individually. So why I do this is because it helps me like modulate my tone um, because I'm not just crossing out things with a red pencil or writing like awk. I got a lot of awks. Um, and so it, it also allows me to be hesitant and say, I think what you're trying to say is, or I wonder about this. And it, it, it also creates content. So let's say that, you know, Sam wrote a really good paper. With Sam's permission, I can share my response video with the class. So Sam's helped me create content. I can also anonymize Sam's paper and then make a short video about it and use that video when I assign the paper again next semester, which I've been doing. So I have a video walkthrough of a successfully completed assignment so the students know what they're going to make when I give it to them. So feedback is not like a closed loop. I think it was sort of like what, what Barbara was hinting at, right? It's kind of a way to get the students to think not only about what they're doing, but why they're doing it. And so feedback is entirely dependent upon opening up the conversation around what is the purpose of the assignment? And so, Anne, you're talking about interaction. Right. So interaction in asynchronous courses occurs, it, the the difference is time. Yeah. So there's nothing we've done in this Zoom that we couldn't do asynchronously. It would just just take longer. Um, So we have to be really mindful when we think about, okay, what is it it that I'm going to do that in a traditional face-to-face setting requires my students' physical presence? If they don't all need to be there in that same room, why am I making them come there? The other question is, has to do with synchronicity. If, if the interaction doesn't require the immediate kind of dynamism, if it's not a dynamic interaction, then maybe I can do it asynchronously. 
And one of the things I was noticing as I was going through the voice threads for today was people were saying, oh my goodness, it's so overwhelming. You know, it's 40 minutes of commentary on one slide. But I invite you all to remember that we have 300 people enrolled in this workshop, right? Mm -hmm. And so in your 35 person section or 15 person section or 19 person section, you're unlikely to get that volume, right? So, you know, we're all professors. We tend to have a lot to say. Um, we urgently need this information that this workshop is um, attempting to offer you. And um, we've got a huge number of students in the class. So I think that's- Yeah, yeah. I, I should say that I, I've worked my way through all but 499 comments. So I will, <laughs> I will get to all of them, I promise. <laughs> So just to follow up on what Anne said, so I I posted some comments in response to your comments on VoiceThread. When I do that, when I use VoiceThread with my students, I teach undergraduates. I don't do that. I don't participate in the VoiceThread. My participation is asking the questions. But right. I found that in in asynchronous, both in classroom conversations and on VoiceThread, when I start to participate, it, it distorts the conversation in a way. All of the comments come to me, I'm like a singularity. And they, they stop from kind of thinking out loud to engaging in a kind of approval seeking behavior. They wanna guess what's in my head and repeat to me what they think I want them to hear. So I'm very, I try to be really careful to think about, okay, what, what's a discussion question? Right. And I think I talk about this in one of the little videos. So what is two plus two is not a discussion question, right? The, you, if you ask that or the equivalent, a question with a correct answer, you're just going to get 37 people saying four. You could ask, okay, two plus two is four. Where in the textbook does it say that? So that's, that's like a homework question, right? They'll, they'll just say page 22. So you want to ask questions that are more provocative. Do you want to live in a world where two plus two is four? Like, how do you feel about that? Right? Because that's going to generate conversation. So part of it is to think, you know, there's a certain level of intentionality. Like, what, what is the purpose of this conversation? Why are we having it? And, and when I'm, you... I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, go ahead. Um, when you post... How do you encourage students to start responding to each other? Does that become part of something you ask them to do, something you assign them to do, or something that just you let happen organically? Or do you at a certain point say, um, gosh, no one's responded to each other yet. You know, I wish you would start doing that now. It's week three. I, I send threatening emails. That seems to work. No, I'm kidding. I do not send threatening emails. So organically is a really interesting word because we, I, I will speak generally, we don't have experiences as learners online, right? So that we can't reproduce our experiences as students that were pleasant in our online courses because we don't have any. And so there is no organically because no one knows what this is. There are no rituals and structures that we can call upon. We have to create them. So in terms of, I would start with in a voice thread or a discussion, talk with them about like, what's a good, what's a good comment? What is that? It's helpful to wait until, you, until you're like a week or two in, so there are comments. And then what I do is I, I make a discussion board or a voice thread and ask them to reference their favorite comment, not their own, and talk about why they liked it. Yeah. 
And then we talk about the qualities that make a good comment. And then we boil it down to, to three. It's usually like interesting, relevant, you know, connected to the material, generative of other comments. Usually they say not too long. Right. But it really matters that they're developing that and they're developing that based on their experience because you just rattle off where you usually land. Right. But it's important that they landed there themselves. Right. It's important. And I've done that for a couple semesters. I've been having my students write course objectives and we do my course objectives, your course objectives and our course objectives. And that's a similar process, kind of iterative process. And I'm pretty, it's, pretty um predictable to me where they land but sometimes they land with course objectives that i really love that i might not necessarily have gotten to right and that comes from being two or three weeks into a course and getting to know each other a little bit so can you speaking of getting to know each other right one of the things that we're facing potentially next year is a situation where not all of our students can be in the classroom at once, right? And we're going to be strangers to each other. So can you talk a little bit about that first day of class or those first weeks of class and how you create community online in an asynchronous environment? Yeah, so we, we all have experiences as professors, teachers. There's this version of ourselves, a teaching version, right? So there's, right. there's this character, Professor D'Agostino. And for 15 weeks, I get to be that person who is caught thoughtful and kind and patient. I have none of these qualities in real life, but I could keep it together in two hour and 15 minute chunks twice a week. In an online space, that's sort of what you're doing, but in a more deliberate way. So you, you, you're creating these messages to send to your students and in some ways, your students experience an async the asynchronous components of your course as an individual. So when you're talking to them, you're talking to a person, not a group. They're not going to watch your video in a theater with the rest of the class. They're going to watch it on a phone or, you know, on an iPad. So in a way it's intimate. And, and, and that's, if it's a video communication, I try to be, you know, more, I was interviewing a, um, a philosophy uh, adjunct instructor, and he said, when he makes videos for his class, more is more. Less is not more, more is more. That's weird, that totally surprises me. So what does he mean by that? He means you have to break through. Right? Ah, right. You can't, you have to, you have to figure out a way to communicate your passion and intensity and commitment to the discipline and to their growth and development. One of the things that um, I loved about the Stephanie Poon vi video that you used as a provocation to start the class where she kind of walked us through her online class was not just listening to her share her personal experience, but sharing why that was important to her that she shared her personal experience yeah. um, and why it mattered to her. And I think, you know, we can be quite deliberate in selecting the details of our personal lives that we want to share. You know, you can put a background behind you so people don't see where you are, right? But you might want to tell something about a favorite book or something about your mom or something about your kid, right? But it doesn't have to be, you, you get to pick what it is, but that more is more is a way of 
breaking that barrier because otherwise it feels like TV. And that's part of what um, can be hard about this kind of teaching. What I really liked about Stephanie's video is that it's, it's not hard to make. <laughs> right. Right. So you, if you want to make emergent and personal artisanal little messages, you need to do away with this notion that they all have to be perfectly edited. You're just talking, right? So there's a certain level of authenticity by just talking to the students like, hey everyone, this week, I think, you know, based on your comments on the discussion board, I wanna spend a little more time thinking about this. And the reason why is this. The other day we were talking and you said something about kind of the more relevant, it was some, yeah, kind of there's a there's a correlation between the more you invest in a particular piece of content that you're going to make, the less relevant and timely it can be because then you can't reuse it. So even if you say to someone, welcome to the spring semester, our first lecture, it's like a 45 minute lecture video. You can't, you can all use that in the spring. <laughs> you can't use it the next semester. Happy Tuesday, everyone. This week we're going to talk about, so you want to make sure, so when you can make video on the fly, just using the webcam, the way we're doing now, right, they can be more personal and emergent and timely. Um, right. So, so there may be kind of static, enduring understandings that are related to your discipline that will, maybe they'll remain static over a semester or two. So you may want to invest, you know, all of your technical skills and wizardry into those kinds of messages. But the building community, hey, I'm Professor D'Agostino. I really like this is who I am. Those should be, I think, a bit more informal because you're making content. I would say the same thing for written communications. I sprinkle exclamation points. Hi, everyone. See you online. Um, because I, I, they're never going to meet me. Right. Right. Can you talk a little bit, we all, where most of us played with VoiceThread, can you talk a little bit about why you like that tool and how you use it in your classes? Yeah, so what I really like about VoiceThread is it can put, unlike a discussion board, which is an isolated space, it's away from the content and, and your lecture. You can embed content in a discussion board, mm -hmm. but VoiceThread sort of puts it together so I used a series of PowerPoint slides, but anything in that box where my, you can put anything there. I work with a, um, a, a number of faculty who teach film courses. They put video clips from films and they talk about those video clips. You can put anything in that space. Um, so it, it's, it's really useful in that regard. I, I mentioned, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I mentioned earlier that I don't participate in the discussion. I lurk, right? And I listen right. to everything they say, and I make a voice thread about the voice thread the week after. And I, I talk about themes that I noticed. What I noticed in your conversation is this. At the same time, sub Rosa, I email all the participants thanking them for participating. You know, dear Anne, thanks so much for your comment on the first voice thread. Comments like yours would make our discussion possible. Please keep it up. VoiceThread, as you know, has a functionality to, um, to grade it. So you can grade it right in VoiceThread, and those grades appear in the Blackboard gradebook. I don't grade the quality of the comments, 
I just grade their timeliness, whether or not you made it in a certain period of time. What I really like about it is I try to communicate to the students that it's their discussion. It's not mine. It's not for me. And so some of them really interpret it. In a 15-week course, I ask five or six questions a week. They make over an hour, between an hour and an hour and 15 minutes of audio content. And that becomes fodder for like a final reflection paper where they can trace their thinking over, over time. So it's really... You can Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Students can have access to every comment they've made, right? Mm -hmm. We as faculty, you can sort by student. You can. Right? So yeah. when you're in the instructor view, what you couldn't probably see is that I can look and see everything that Asher Foley said all in one line, right? And Asher, you could see your own comments all in one line. Judy, you could see all your comments in one line. But when you think about grading it, I think it's, it's, I think uh, Steve was talking about just grading it based on timeliness, not on content, right? And so can you yeah. say a little bit more about why that's valuable to you? Well, well, I think in a classroom discussion, like Sam was called on and he made a comment. Mm -hmm. I think that comment was like an 88. <laughs> I mean, I put some thought into this. I have a rubric and that that's what it... Right. So how do I do that? How would you in a classroom, you're not grading. What would what would be the evaluative criteria if it's like a discussion? No, so if, I had a, if I'm I had wrong, a colleague who had an incredibly complicated system of index cards where she would kind of move people along the bar chart of the day according to their rising and falling participation. And yeah. the very I mean, there are a few people. I mean, I met this woman. Right. Who can do that? The cognitive load of that alone is more than I can do. And that's actually not the content of my class. Part of it is to think about what, what is the discussion for? Is it an assessment activity? Am I testing to see if you've read the content right. or interacted with it in some meaningful way, right? If it's an assessment activity, then that's very different than a space where we're trying to develop a common language and improve our our disciplinary literacy and wrestle with ideas. So in a classroom setting, if a student, I've had students who participate and, and they're wrong a lot. Right. So they love to raise their hands, but it's great, it's great to be wrong. I want students to be able to be wrong. Yeah. You know, because if they're, if they know everything, then they don't need to come anymore. Right. They're, they're, you know, they could take the colon nut from my hand and they move on. They're, they're, they're a Shaolin now that that's it. So you, you need to create spaces where, and this is, I learned this from a philosophy instructor. He, and you, you brought this up about how do you get them to engage with each other? So he said, okay, by, I think it was the, the one with the piety, with the with play, a Socratic dialogue. A lot of them are about piety, maybe in the Euthyphro, but something I don't understand about the Phaedo is, you need to respond to that prompt by Wednesday. And by Monday, you need to answer a classmate. You don't have to be right, but, but give it your best shot. So she right. did early on in the semester to first create a space where they understood it's okay not to know and to publicly proclaim that proudly. I don't understand this, but also to look to each other as a resource, right? Not to look to you to be Google, that, that they, they, they need to kind of turn to each other. So that's a way to generate a, uh, engagement and also to kind of build community there you go 
That's really important. I really like that. What are some other things that you like to do um, asynchronously with your students, right? Uh, we, we, the, the main tool we were focusing on today was VoiceThread because that was something, something you really like. Um, it's probably new to a lot of people. A lot of instructors at Fordham have used it with great um, success. I think it's really powerful because it gives you that option of voice, video, and writing, right? So de depending on where you are, your degree of comfort, maybe you're on the train and you can't. I was answering a couple things with text because my kids were in the room and I didn't want to record <laughs> my kids were around. Um, so it's nice to have that option. Um, but what are some other asynchronous tools that you find particularly important for um, engagement? So. I mean, I've been talking a lot about VoiceThread, but essentially it's just a discussion tool. So there's, there te there's text-based discussion built into Blackboard and the same principles would apply. Um, someone in the chat mentioned like, how do you go through all of those comments? Right. Um, I think what VoiceThread gives you is like the nuance of thinking out loud and their tone of voice and so on. I used to listen to them on the train, but you can do the same thing with discussion discussion, text-based discussions. The important thing is to think about a communication plan and inform the students of, first of all, what's a good discussion post and, and how long should it be? What, do, what, what should their expectations be about your response? Are you gonna to respond to every comment? Um, how quickly will you respond? Because I find my, when, I, when I put myself in that box, there's only so many synonyms for like interesting, fascinating, right. wonderful. I never thought of it that way. You know, you don't want to just make comments because you have to. So I and I've, sometimes, I've sometimes said to my students, you know, been really explicit about that. I'm not going to respond to every comment and my non-response does not mean it doesn't have value, right? All your comments have value and here's the plan by which I'm going to respond. You know, and I'll set something up. I'm going to pick three or I'm going to pick 10 or I never answer on Saturdays. That's a family day for me. But that way they don't expect, they don't think that, oh, I didn't, they didn't, she didn't respond to me and it's Saturday and she must hate me. Right. I mean, the kind of way that you can get your anxiety activated um, can is legion, right? We lots of ways to well, activate. I mean, I think to, like I teach in Gabellian and PCS. So in PCS, Professional and Continuing Studies, there are adult non-traditional students who in some cases have a lower tolerance for ambiguity, right? right. So when we talk about feedback, we're talking about you know, commenting, emails, announcements, but quizzes are also feedback. So when I'm working with faculty designing courses, I say right away in the first week, you should have a quiz. And people don't give quizzes, right? I never gave quizzes before. But some people like numerical feedback Right. And Blackboard quizzes, they grade themselves. So you can come up with a 10 question multiple choice quiz. I give them two attempts. They take the quiz. They get an eight. They look back at the handouts and the materials and they take it again and they get a 10. Because if you don't provide them with some kind of numerical feedback, let's say there's a paper in week two. They do the paper in week two. They get it back in week three. They, it's three weeks and they don't know how they're performing. So in a, right. in, a, in a kind of a setting that they've never experienced before in an online setting, it's important to, to kind of reconceptualize what quizzes and tests are for. Like, what are they for? They're not for me. 
right? They're a way to signal to the students the, it, the, the learning behaviors you're engaging in are effective for you or they're ineffective for you. And so if we, if we think about it in that way, then it becomes another mechanism of, of feedback. It's, it's, it helps them learn more. It's not anxiety producing or threatening. That's why I give them two attempts. It's not about me. I don't, you know, I want you to do well. This is a way to let you know whether or not you're doing well. I don't want to give the impression that like everybody gets an A, right? That's sort of not how it works. But it, so you'll, you'll notice in the online classes I've worked with, with instructors developing, they, they, get, they get more difficult as the semester progresses, right? The voice thread was, was relatively a simple construct. So we don't want to use a complex tool with a complex task. So I, right. I you, you know, so all of these things have to go into thinking about using feedback to signal to the students to keep doing what they're doing or to reconsider what they're doing and try to, to do it more effectively. Right. And I think we're going to pivot to talking about what's going to happen tomorrow and what your homework is and, and some feedback from you in just a second, because it's 348 and we will stop at four. Um, and I'm looking in the chat and I haven't had time to read everything, but one of the things I'm seeing is kind of two different questions. One is about tool fatigue, right? The number of tools that we're asking students to learn. And that's something that we've been talking about a lot. Um, and the other one is about, you know, kind of creating a dynamic flow of a conversation where a conversation can move to a new place. How ways, strategies for doing that asynchronously. So could you talk to us briefly about either of those or both? Yeah. I was responding to a chat about, I like to tell students their grades are none of their business. Grades are for the administration. <laughs> I know. <laughs> There's one in every class. So I'm sorry, can you just restate the question for me? Because I was... So uh, talk to me about how, how, are there ways to asynchronously let the discussion go flow according to students' interests? Are there tools that you like for that? Well, I mean, ultimately it's how students engage has, the tools have some effect, but really it's the conditions and the expectations of the discussion and what your expectations are. So to design an online course, similarly to a face-to-face uh, course. Hi, Tanda, this is Professor Katsoulis. There, there are chunks, right? And so if we have a, like a unit one or a module one discussion, does that end when module one is over or do we go back to it? Like, what is that boundary? Right. Um, and that, that's broader than just discussion. It's about, uh, Francesca Parmigiani talked about, uh, I, I, I apologize for calling her out, but one of her voice thread comments that really resonated for me, and this is not to suggest I, other voice thread comments weren't equally, um, you know, interesting. This idea of, the dichotomy of designing a course and teaching a course, she experienced these two things happening together. And so I, I like to think of this idea as the undesigned remainder. There, you can design as much as you like, but there's gotta be some space for students, their interests, their comments, external events, internal events, to have some effect on the class. 
Otherwise, it's just a static object and, and they're just passive recipients. So the discussion board is a way to kind of, you know, let's go back to last week. So when you when students post comments, if they're if the questions are good ones, that will inform what you're going to do in the next week and what little tweaks and changes you may be making in the online content in the next week. And if you're doing a hybrid model with live sessions, th those discussion posts can be really valuable to inform what happens in the synchronous sessions. So even if you're going to do synchronous sessions, I would still recommend having discussion posts. Did I answer your great. question, Ann? Did that, did yeah, I answer that um, that was great. Twice Over Podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spotify, with new episodes appearing twice each week. For host and guest bios and show notes, please visit our website, twiceoverpodcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twiceover1 or email us at twiceoverpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening.